0: episode of Walk and Chew Gum, where we analyze some of the biggest things in pop culture. They're worldviews. My name is Chike.
1: My name is James.
0: Welcome back. We this back. is the Rings of Power season one analysis. That if you listened to us last episode, we are going to be talking about. Are you excited for this?
1: Yeah, I am. This yeah, is, yeah, this is a big one.
0: It is a big one because the show is. There's a lot in this show because of the nature of the show because it's the lord of the rings and so there's a lot of scrutiny there's a heavy weight involved with the show and again if you listened to us last episode i said this is going to be contain all of the spoilers so we might alienate some of you <laughs> initially but please we encourage you to go watch the show i if you've seen any of the reviews or any of the criticisms of this show i would strip those away and just go and give it a watch for yourself. I think there are a few camps involved with with Lord of the Rings. There's like your lore masters, people who have like dive done deep dives into the world of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes, and who can speak and who the can Elders speak language. Quenya and the, all yeah, the Elvis okay. languages and the Dwarven languages and can write in them and have studied language. I mean, there are Tolkien scholars that have just poured through his works so there's that camp there's people where i think we probably end up where we had exposure to the peter jackson trilogy Mm -hmm. probably watched them you know in a series did one of those late nights where we watched the extended editions all three of them in the same time and just did that in college and attempted to read and attempted to read yes yeah Yeah, and got into the hobbit series and then there's probably people who don't know much about lord of the rings but is into fantasy and has heard a lot about Lord of the Rings. So there's three different camps. So whether, whether, whatever camp you fall into, please give this a shot and formulate your own opinions, which we will be giving our own opinions on this particular franchise. And again, like I said, it's going to be all spoilers all out. So get ready. We're going to dive deep into this. And how, how are we going to structure this, James?
1: So first I wanted to ask you, which character of the Lord of the Rings franchise is your favorite?
0: Out of why? Out, out of all of
1: them? Out of all of them. Oh, it, oh my gosh. Every single one.
0: Every single one? Yeah.
1: There's got to be one that stands out. Oh man. Or do you That's, want two? Can I get two? Mm-hmm. I can get two. But you have to explain why.
0: You have to explain why? Okay. Hmm. That's a really good question. You go first.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm... I, I'm all about Strider. Aragorn. Yeah. Um, yeah. My thing with Aragorn is just a man who just doubts his ability mm-hmm. the whole time. In the beginning, he did want the kingship immediately. Yeah. But over time, recognizes his own incompetency or um, almost a right to not have it. Like he didn't earn it. Mm. So it doesn't feel like he should... Have it anymore, and then over time, he builds his confidence, and he rightfully earns his takes place. his place as
0: the king. Yeah,
1: as the rightful heir. Yeah, yeah. So for me, and then he wins the girl at the end too. Sounds like nice, Arwen. Yeah. Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah, man. He was my. I think I think I've always been a fan of the elves. Mm. So I'm thinking of all of the elven characters that I'm familiar with. Like in rings and power, we've got Galadriel and Arandir and Gilgalad and Elrond and Celebrimbor, and then in the the movie series by Peter Jackson, you have Galadriel and Elrond and Legolas and
1: Celebron, and Celebron, yeah, um, and Arwen, and Aowen, and Aowen, yeah. Well, is Aowen Hobbit? Nonetheless, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah,
0: I think Elrond. L- I think Elrond L- in both forms, ah. like in Rings of Power and in the Peter Jackson trilogy, I think Elrond is great because of how wise he is mm-hmm. and how much he knows. And Hugo Weaving is a great actor, yeah. And so I think part of my bias is that I love Hugo Weaving as an mm-hmm. actor, and the way he portrayed him in the Peter Jackson series is is awesome, yeah. But uh, yeah, the the guy who played Elrond in Rings of Power, I think he did great too. I mean he captured as best as he could Elrond himself and yeah. as as a wise elf, as someone who is both friend in wise counsel yeah. to, to those who are around him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, always been good. Always been a
1: big fan of elves. Yeah. Very great character. Yeah. So you you don't have a second one? I don't think I have a second one now that I think right. about it. Alright. Yeah. Like that. All right. So before we get started, let's give us a li- give the folks a little recap or a little summary of what the rings of power is about. So, if you haven't heard our second episode or right, second episode. Yeah, it was episode 2. We episode talked a little two. about
0: Rings of Power and then the Emmys, but
1: yeah. yeah. So, um the Rings of Power is about the second age. Um so the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit is about the third age. Yes. But the second age has basically three major components. The first one is the creation of the rings of power and the ring that rules them all. And then the downfall of the kingdom of Numenor. Numenor. Yeah, I can't roll my <laughs> tongues, so I'm not going to Yeah, So that's not going to be a thing. I know. And then that's why I can't do any Elvish language because uh-huh. all their R's are rolled.
0: No Quenya for this guy. No,
1: nope, not possible. <laughs> it would right. be with a little Asian accent if I did it. <laughs> And then um, number three is the... And uh, it finalizes with the last alliance between men and elves as they fight Sauron. So that's how the Second Age is structured. Um, there's some specifically for the Rings of Power and um, like the Tolkien way of writing. He some, some things are not canonical. So Galadriel taking up... Um, The story of her brother Mm -hmm. is not canonical. Um, Actually, Galadriel in the second age doesn't really have much to do. She actually is with her husband, Celeborn, and her daughter, and actually is later given a Mm -hmm. ring of power. Right. Um, Which
0: she does get at the end. Well, it's implied that she will get a ring of power because they do show at the end of season one, them making the three elven rings. Right.
1: But that's not actually how she gets it right. in in Tolkien's yeah. Yeah, story, um, or at least the way he wrote it. Um, so she doesn't do much in the second age, but obviously the Amazon Prime video series makes her to have a much bigger role yeah, that she's Tolkien the, she's never the, intended.
0: She's the main character. She's the right. central focus of the show.
1: Yeah. But Galadriel's brother dying is canonical. Finron Yeah, Thinrond. Yeah. And uh so yeah, so um so there's that uh you you'll run into certain characters like that are not canonical that are that didn't crea- exist at all. They were created
0: yeah. specifically for Rings of Power. Right.
1: So you have like Aaron who loves um who's an elf that loves a human named Brownwin. Yeah. And then it kind of plays off the love relationship that Aragorn and um, Arwen have exactly in, yeah yeah in the Lord of the Rings trilogy so yep. that's kind of how the second age is rounded out and how that compares to the rings of power and where they're going so just for the folks that haven't seen it go watch it now you kind of have the structure of what's taking place so that yeah. when you do watch it you can watch right. it with some context
0: and we're not going to f- do like full episode breakdowns because that would be an insane amount of time in all eight episodes, which are each an hour piece, what we're focusing on is the worldview specifically in the show and partly out of the show. And if you recall, if you've been listening to us, we do have four questions that we always like to draw from, mm-hmm. which
1: are, what good can we celebrate, protect, promote, and preserve?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Number two is what is missing that we can contribute? Number three is what evil can we stop? And four is what brokenness can we restore? Yeah,
0: so let's let's jump right into it without wasting any more time, so we have a sufficient amount of space to cover each one of these four questions. So, I'll start off with what is what's good that we can promote, celebrate, and preserve. I think that this show, in and of itself, is great because it brought me back to Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is a quintessential. It is the quintessential fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. Tolkien created this back in the 1930s. And so from that, every single piece of fantasy, fantasy that has existed has taken elements of Tolkien's world. So to have fantasy, like the standard fantasy structure, if you think about it in our modern mm-hmm. world, you have to have elves, dwarves, men, orcs, some sort of evil, a mm-hmm. relationship to trees, magic wizards wizards smithing all of that mm-hmm. like everything in the fantasy genre, fantasy genre spurs from that now obviously you diverge and there are other different types of fantasy you have sci-fi but like fantasy in general like medieval mid, fantasy has all of those like has an aspect of what Tolkien created mm-hmm. so yeah this obviously because it is lord of the rings you have to have these elements within it And it's cool to go back in this world and with the budget that this show has, which if you recall, this show cost one billion dollars with I think it was 60 million dollars per episode within the first season alone. And it shows in the visuals. It shows how beautiful this is. I went back to the first episode of this. I was I was kind of doing a compare and contrast of like the first 15 minutes of Fellowship of the Ring from the Peter Jackson series and the first 15 minutes of rings of power. And, um, I'll get it to, to those comparisons here in just a second, but in the visuals of, uh, Galadriel being in Valinir was amazing. You see the light of the two trees. You see the beautiful landscape that they're in, in this elvish heaven that they're in. And it's incredibly beautiful. And even in later on in some of the visuals with Celebrimbor's, uh, eventual fords that he makes uh doom the dwarven kingdom and just the, the sprawling landscapes that you see even numenor the great city of numenor mm-hmm. that you hear about with these fantastical uh these are like the prototype humans they're supposed to have longer life they're supposedly supposed to be eight feet tall but we'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll be more of our criticisms <laughs> of how they portrayed <laughs> certain certain things but uh but the the landscapes are beautiful In the way that those are portrayed are great because you have such a high budget, like you're going to spend the budget. So the visual effects are great. I think the music is great in this. Um, I think some of the music that was used in the Peter Jackson series was used for Rings of Power, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could be wrong. Someone can fact check me on that. But I I really enjoyed those visuals. Uh, I like to see characters that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that they're. Some some of these characters are not supposed to be in certain areas, mm-hmm. given the context of the lore, but putting lore aside, which is really hard to do that, it's impossible to do that because of the nature of this franchise, mm-hmm. but given the fact that you have these characters that are in there, and you get to revisit them, and you get to sort of try to connect the dots of all of this. I will say, like going starting from episode one, I think the show had a lot of promise. I think even thinking about it and even watching those first 15 minutes of that first episode, I was like, yeah, I'm into this. I could see myself really liking the show. And as we'll talk about later, it just didn't it didn't really stick the landing. It didn't really do it for me. But at the beginning, there was definite signs of life. You can see that the the showrunners did pay at least a little bit of attention to the source material, at least what they had available to them. And so it, it was cool to see those elements come out. So what what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think to your point, um lot Lord of the Rings franchise as a whole has a lot of goodwill built into it. Yeah. So people are invested in many of the characters that they've known mm-hmm. for a long time. Galadriel, Eldron, or Elrond, um, Gilgalad, like these are canonical character so they have lots of goodwill built into them right um even Sauron and obviously that's p- kind of the whole purpose of season one is to figure out who is Sauron is Sauron still alive right um so I-, I think the goodwill that's built in definitely gave it lots of room for potential right so I would agree with that I think the other component you hit on it earlier which is kind of like having more tolkien-esque conversations mm-hmm. so something higher something deeper um and before we even started recording you were talking about the primary world versus the secondary world and maybe we'll get into that later but it was it was really it that tolkien's intention for middle earth was that it's it should be a world that is can live on or can exist on its own. Yeah. And there's just something that that's something in inside of us that desires for something like that. Right. Um, to kind of escape the primary world that we do live in. So there is something really beautiful about having a sense of escape where we can look into another world that is suffering or going through pains and and wanting good to win right um yeah what you're referencing
0: is a documentary from 1996 i think i'll link that in the episode notes for this but i encourage anyone who is a who's in who wants to know more about tolkien it is a fantastic documentary that has various interviews from his kids and tolkien himself which talks about his works on the hobbit even, like, the Father Christmas stories and in uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously. And it's about, like, it's almost two hours, but it, it's a great. And what you're talking about is the primary world, which is the world that we exist in, our mm-hmm. real world. And then the secondary world, which Tolkien himself created within his own mind, which speaks to his own incredible literary genius that the Lord made in this mind. Like, imagine all of the things that Tolkien has written. That that just came out of, that, that was him. Mm-hmm. That was the gift that he was given, and he crafted this expansive world with its own languages, its own peoples, its own maps, its own histories, its own genealogies. It is incredible that all of this came out of the mind of just one man. Like, And we, and we were also talking about earlier all of these other geniuses like J.K. Rowling and George R.R. Martin and C.S. Lewis and even George Lucas that— These people have incredible minds to create such expansive worlds and created communities and languages and just a a mythos that expands generations. Like we're still talking. When did Tolkien die? Do you know when? Mm -hmm. You know when? But you can you can talk. But he died like a long time ago and we're still talking about him today. I mean, it's still culturally relevant mean, because Amazon made it culturally relevant. Um, but yeah, it's it's incredible the, like how
1: great yeah. of oh, a man he was. When, and when he, he passed, passed away on September 2nd, 1973. 1973.
0: And That's we are 40. in the year of our Lord, 2022.
1: Yeah, 50 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. we're still
0: talking about today. I will say that I also like the introduction of some of the newer characters. I, I think I like Arundir, So he's essentially like the Legolas of this story where he's you know, he been guarding the Southlands for a long time. He's been in this, and he's being told to go home because the enemy has retreated, but then he's fallen in love with Bromwyn, this florist. But then he becomes sort of like a pseudo number two whenever this orc threat comes out, and he finds himself up against his own dark elf by the name of Adar, who's also another good character, great antagonist to the show. Mm-hmm. But these two characters, Adar and Arendir, aren't canonical to anything that tolkien wrote right but i think the introduction of them and the way that they are presented within the story it makes sense um i think so for the most part i'm Again,
1: excited to see where they're going to take adar yeah i think yeah. so yeah it's good because now that's sauron has been identified it would be really interesting to do you, see do
0: you want to talk about that already oh no not yet oh you don't No. okay not yet no, that's but so, okay
1: but out of the episodes, my question is: What are some good things you want to? I guess you kind of talked about you like some of the characters. Yeah, yeah. But you
0: talk about like episodes specifically? No,
1: just like certain parts of the story that you really want to celebrate or promote.
0: Uh, I love the Durin and Elrond plot. So yeah. I have that them down too. Yeah, searching for Mithril, which the the lore of Mithril is not consistent but still the way that it's presented i think it's great the dynamic between the el the elron and durin is great i think there are some powerful moments i think uh i talked about this on episode 2 when we talked about this disa durin's wife there's a moment where she's singing and it's after i think it's like episode 2 or 3 where the mine collapses mm-hmm. that they're digging for mithril which it turns out in the show that it's a balrog sleeping yep uh, beneath, below, below them, like yeah, very in deep the depths, below them, yeah. in the depths of the mind, and and Disa is singing in reference. I guess she's trying to either mourn because she thinks that they're dead. Turns out that they're alive, but the way that she's communicating because dwarves have this have this connection with the earth in mm-hmm. the rock that no other race has, and mm-hmm. that and again it speaks to the beauty of what Tolkien wrote that there's a connection between these these dwarven like people and the earth that they shape and they build around them. So right. that was very powerful. The way that Durin talks to his dad in episode seven. Yeah, I think it's episode seven in which uh, King Durin the third, because the, the other Durin that we're doing with, with Durin and Elrond's Durin the fourth, but King Durin, his father is shutting down the mine. And then Durin essentially is trying to advocate for his friend, the elf, but Durin is like we just can't trust these people, and mm-hmm. yet he, he essentially gets his gets his own title revoked because he is so committed to the friendship of between him and Elrond, wanting to save th- these people who he is called friends. So I think the conversation between Durin and his dad I think is fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean that was I mean that's something that I wrote it down too. I think for me the component that we'll see um, or we see towards the end of season one is when Galadriel overcomes the temptation of Sauron Mm. yeah I thought that was really um, a really good moment because it gave you the dissonance that you can feel in regards to evil trying to lure characters in to their side I appreciated that moment
0: I know that you do, but I don't think I do because it's a a trope that I'm tired of. You see it a lot in Star Wars where you have Luke being tempted by the dark side of the force. Yeah, but... (laughs) You see all that. That's a trope that exists all the time.
1: I I think the thing I would say in that moment, Sauron did not play his cards right. Because (laughs) why would somebody who lost... Her brother. Yes. And apparently her husband. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the dark side and be a part of Sauron's army. I thought, I was like, well, he's horrible at politics. That was one <laughs> thing. Um, well, I don't know why he would try to recruit her, but I did appreciate that they wanted to make the moment of, like, in some ways, a an homage to, like, the temptation of Christ in the desert. I
0: guess, but I don't know. I don't like the trope. The trope is too overplayed for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I like it as much. Okay, all right. I was like, hey, they at least played, they at least, you know. But again, I I will
0: say at that point in in the, because that's the season finale, that's episode eight. Yeah. So at that point in the series, I'm just completely...
1: Like, I, I don't know. I, I just thought, I was like, all right, cool. But I did, I was like, I'm glad that they did it. But I was like, you're really bad at politics. If she accepts it, I was like, even that would make her even dumber than yeah. her un, her foolishness all throughout. Oh, gosh. That's even. So, yes. all right. I think there's a good segue into It's good because I don't think there's any
0: more I could think about to celebrate. <laughs> uh, all right. So, hopefully, what, you're catching on if you're listening to this. That we, there are some, for the most part, we like this show, kind of yeah. like the show, but I think there are a lot of things that are missing. Missing. <laughs> yeah. What that,
1: you got? <laughs> yeah. So, the, obviously, next question is what is missing that we can contribute? Um, we've already kind of talked about all the tropes and everything that they've been trying to do, whether it's through diversity in the casting and how that. Yeah, distracts you from the real essence of critiquing the show.
0: So it sounds like there's, it's like two elements to this show. You have the inconsistency and the logic of the lore of Lord of the Rings unto itself. This is what we talked about earlier, the secondary world. So you have some logical inconsistencies within the narrative unto itself, but then you have the primary world the world that we live in, the marketing of the show, the big budgetness of the show, the reactions from fans and the showrunners all clashing with one another because of how beloved this series is and how there is no amount of money that you can throw at a series to make it good. Just because you spend a billion dollars on a series doesn't mean you can make it good like money can't buy you a good series. You know it gives you a good series, good writing.
1: Yeah, and I think the the when we were earlier talking about the primary world and the secondary world, I think Tolkien's desire to keep the secondary world as a world in and of itself is a really good like that in and of itself can tell a beautiful story. Yes. But I think the the issue that Amazon or all all of corporate America or whatever is trying to, or entertainment is trying to take what they have in the primary world and they're trying to dump it into the secondary world. And I think if it was Tolkien looking at this, he would be like, no, just leave my world alone.
0: Right, yeah, and that's, yeah. A, that's where I was talking to you about this before we started recording, that there is a problem in modern media today in which every story, fantasy or not, has to have the elements of our of the elements of the real world in it it has to quote unquote reflect the world that we live in and you see it in rings of power with the focus on the, the diversity not to say that there's anything wrong with diversity and if you go back to what we talked about in the second episode about diversity there is nothing wrong with diversity we are both minorities i'm black you're korean so there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, but we can identify with people that don't look like us. We even talked about that last episode with right. Kehinde Wiley and, uh, and, and Ard- Ard- yeah, I yeah, did yeah. Gentileski. So there's, we can identify with people, whether or not they look like us, but forced diversity is a problem where you are basically placing characters in, in an area in which they probably didn't exist for a time. And again, going back to logical inconsistency, it has to make sense within the world that you're creating. So for instance, you have the Harfoots, which are the proto hobbits, which again, Harfoots didn't really exist within the world of Tolkien. So there's already inconsistency within the world because Harfoots aren't really a thing. The Harfoots are seen as a very diverse nomadic culture in which... They all travel, you know. No one goes off trail. No one gets left behind. That's the mon- <laughs> That's the mantra. Which you go through reviews of I, all of this. I'm and shocked that a lot you
1: memorized though.
0: That's all they say, man. That's, I know. that's the. That's the.
1: That's but the motto. It is such an unmemorable motto that I forget it every time and I have to Nobody look it up. goes off
0: trail, and no one gets left behind. Hey. <laughs> They said it so much. I think it was like episode five that did that. I
1: think I just roll my eyes every time I see him do it because they've done it for so long.
0: Yeah. The Horf has got a lot of flack in this episode because you they are seen as people that are on the one hand supposed to care about themselves, but they also want to leave people behind. Because even there was, I think there was an episode where it's Nori and her parents and then the stranger, which we'll talk about the stranger <laughs> at some point. Uh, here in a second, but uh, yeah, that the they are wanting to leave them behind, so to speak. And so I'm like, okay, you said no one gets left behind, and yet you are suggesting that we should leave these people behind. So I don't, I don't understand that. But uh, the Harfoots themselves are they're very multicultural. Even the main. The main uh, Harfoot Satic Burrows, played by Lenny Harry. Uh I have a cast list here, so I'm oh, just trying man. to make sure like, that I, I know who you are. Impressive, sir. I know, but uh, I'm just trying to make sure I get these people's names right because you know, just want to be want to be respectful to the material. But um, you know, you see, you know, black, you see, Asian, you see, white, you see all of these different multicultural facets. But then, if these are supposed to be the hobbits, the ancestors of the hobbits, what happened? to them all in Middle Earth because we're still talking about Middle Earth and you see references to specific geographic locations that become what they are in the third age. So Mm -hmm. in the second age you have the Southlands which eventually does become Mordor and that is what happens in episode five that the Southlands becomes Mount Doom and Mordor specifically. And so going through that you know that there's locations that are specific to the third age of Middle Earth. So my question is, what happened to all of the multicultural hobbit race? I mean, I think it just it just it doesn't make sense. The same thing with the elves, same thing with humans. So yeah. I think at best this is a distraction for me to where it has to be like, Well, what happened here? Like I have to think you have to think about this. I can't divorce myself from the lore. Like you can't you can't ask someone to divorce themselves from this lore that they know so much about and it's nothing against the actors within themselves there's nothing against what they're trying to do but when again when you're trying to do much of the primary world in the secondary world you're gonna run into some problems
1: right and then you run into <clears throat> what now um, rings of power basically looks like manhattan new york yeah with all the diversity <laughs> And all the different multicultural just spill that's happening over their melting pot. Yeah. That they, you know, the brand that they carry. Right. And then you have Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, the Peter Jackson series, which is basically Northern European folk fantasy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which Tolkien himself, that's what he was trying to pull from. Right. Even in the documentary that I referenced earlier, when he's talking about hobbits, hobbits are supposed to be the Englishmen. Like the way that they talk, the way that they act, their their diets, their speech patterns, they're supposed to represent like the common English man in that sense. And their foot size? And I don't know about foot size. <laughs> Probably not.
1: Probably not. I mean, but like
0: this is supposed they're supposed to be like just the regular common right. man. You're like they're in a world that is far bigger than themselves mm-hmm. and yet they play a part, which you see in the third age of Middle Earth. Yeah. Which they, Frodo and Samwise, and even Pippin and Merry play a big part in that.
1: I mean, at the end, remember, they are the people no one bows down to. Yeah. Yeah. So they get, they get, you know, lifted up. Yeah. And the
0: reason why that Hobbits, it it was good for Frodo and Sam to carry the one ring, at least Frodo, is that they are one of the least corruptible races. Mm -hmm. I mean, it did, you know, speak to, to Frodo, and it did, you know, turn him, but it was not as, it wouldn't be, it wasn't as heavy as, like, you know, maybe an Aragorn or even Gandalf, which, uh, it stated that if Gandalf ever had the one ring, it would be a really, really bad time for everybody, but, you know, we're, we're gonna diverge too much, too much into the Peter Jackson series, so, yeah, rings of power, so what el- what else is
1: missing, um, from a logic sense, at least? Well, I uh I mean, we see this a lot in a lot of the new movies that are coming out, is that the role of a mother seems to be totally missing. So like Galadriel in the second age, she's supposed to be a mom. That's kind of her primary role. But they just switch her to become this warrior princess or of the elves. And I think um I, I think that's just an homage to women empowerment, which is fine because I mean, we, but the thing also is like Galadriel being a mom as of Celebrianne and possibly Sauron coming to basically make an elvish future extinct. seems like a much bigger motivator to me for her to even go into battle yeah. than her brother dying. And then, later revealing that her husband also is presumably dead. Yeah. So I think there was just certain components where I was like, there is a mama bear instinct that it's like, man, what in my mind, if I had to rewrite this, if I was given the opportunity to write the story, I think it would have been more like Celebrian, the daughter of Galadriel going, do I have a future? Yeah. If Sauron is really out there. Right. And then her, being motivated to go and fight.
0: Yeah. The characterization of Galadriel was a big point of yes. criticism yes. within the show. And yeah, you your point about female empowerment rings true. There's a way to write female characters and you don't have to always imbue them with male characteristic, characteristics. Right. Where, Galadriel's commander of the North, northern northern armies, just this really really cool warrior, Xena warrior princess type of of no nonsense character. But mm-hmm. that's not even remotely how she is portrayed in the books. Now in the lore, and if any if we get any lore wrong, if you listen to this and you're like a lore master of Lord of the Rings, please hit us up and let us know because we will probably get some stuff wrong. But yeah. anyway, in the lore of Galadriel, she is. A warrior because she does have brothers and it's said that elves uh who have brothers at least female elves do get trained in combat mm-hmm. so she does have combat capability but it's never stated that she ever fought as a soldier mm-hmm. she's actually she never used a sword in fact i mean even in again the peter jackson series any <laughs> but if you want to just take it to the books if you want to just start keep it to the book specifically she has high magical ability yeah like she's one of the most powerful characters she has insight beyond insight where she can see into your mind and see your innermost thoughts and she uh she has the light of the uh of Valinor in her hair even like it's Mm -hmm. shades of gold and silver and in the movie it's portrayed as like this beautiful beautiful light in the way that she uh interacts with people like she is supposed to represent some sort of angelic figure mm-hmm. but in rings of power she's not portrayed that way she's portrayed as someone who is kind of rough gruff and tumble um and it's it's weird and very brash and i mentioned this before she's supposed to be like five thousand years old at this point yep. in the second age in which you would think you would have garnered a little bit of wisdom or political intrigue <laughs> into any of your enemies and allies or at least like understood things in the way that she's portrayed is just weird like yeah. even in the first episode she is so bent on tracking down Sauron that she's wanting to leave her company behind and just find him so and even when she confronts Adar and I think this is an episode six I believe or is it episode five it may be episode five for I think it's episode six episode five or six in which they capture Adar yeah, it's episode six after the, this big battle in no, the Southlands yeah, yeah, yeah. where the right. Numenoreans yep. and Galadriel ride down, to fight the orcs, and they right. capture Adar.
1: And they kind of put him in a stable.
0: Put him like in a, a stable, and she's essentially wanting to commit genocide in against the entire race of orcs. And yeah. I'm like, really? You're, you're wanting to commit an act of genocide against these people in which the Adar... You're rooting for Adar in this sense because he is basically advocating for their right to have a home. Yeah. That's that's all he's wanting to do. They're wanting to blow out the sun because the sun hurt, hurts the orcs. And these orcs are portrayed as very sympathetic, which there's no pure evil in this, so to speak. They're all played as sympathetic
1: characters, but right. an antagonists to each other. Which is a whole nother component of, again, the primary world reaching into right the secondary world.
0: like. Galadriel's instinct in aspects, and even just the way that she's supposed to interpret people's minds—like she's not as smart as she is written, right? Yeah. She's written not very smart in this show, in which, in Tolkien's work, in Tolkien's world, she's written as one of the wisest and most powerful characters. Even before she isn't have a, a ring, even before she has a ring of power, yeah, like she's supposed to be super wise. in. something that was really weird in that episode specifically. So there's this hilt of Sauron oh, yeah. that uh, Theo Bronwyn's son has for most of the time. Right. Turns out that it is a it's a key that opens up the dam to the tower that Arandir and the other elves have been to, and it unlocks the dam, which floods the entire area, and it floods into. Mount, the trenches the trenches that they have been digging into the volcano in which it erupts to create Mount Doom now they've been they were chasing around adar for this entire episode not once when they grabbed the hilt from him did they bother to check it Yeah, you have these super smart thousand-year-old characters not bothering to think that maybe this man did a switcheroo at some point. Yeah, maybe he did a you know some sort of flea flicker move. Yeah, which he did. Turns out it was an axe. (laughs) He did a little. He did a little. They didn't bother to to do any of that. But it's just it's so weird when you have supposedly smart characters, well written already. You have the material in which they you know there's only certain material that you can pull from, but you. You can, if you're making Galadriel this sip you're supposed to be, she's supposed to be our hero. She's supposed to be the protagonist, but sometimes I'm not rooting for her.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. The investment in the good characters is almost like good, like good, not, not evil, but good characters is almost non-existent. Yeah.
0: You think yeah. there's like some morally gray. There's like a lot yeah. of moral, more gray. Yeah. Which I don't think that's, I don't think that's just correct. Yeah. With what Tolkien wrote. There's pure good and then there's pure evil yeah within that sense like sauron the one ring that's pure evil the orcs pure evil the elves supposed to represent pure good right the men i think men in humans in this sense are the gray in this where they straddle the line between good and evil correct because they i think it says for you know men desire power Right. But they're easily corruptible and sway through their wind. So that's that's where you're morally gray. But elves and orcs are both opposite ends right. of the spectrum. There's and no there should be
1: no moral gray with those right. two races. So all of a sudden like Galadriel is more human.
0: Yeah. Than no elf.
1: And then same with Adar and yeah. the Orcs. Like they're right. all way more human than they are their own specific races. Yeah. yeah.
0: You want to talk about the two uh the two biggest mysteries? Of the show, oh. which is the Stranger and Halbrand.
1: Oh yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So Stranger.
0: All right. So you know, if you watch the show, that the Stranger turns out to be a wizard. So in episode episode eight, it is revealed that this Stranger, who for whatever reason had been, you know, just who he's a comet that slashed down. And he
1: basically shows up like the Terminator.
0: <laughs> had no speech. <laughs> No speech. Barely any speech. Had a,
1: basically a, had a, a rag. Had and, a few lines. Turns yeah. out
0: to be when they uh, fight these other three witches, which turn out to be like Nazgul or ringwraiths with logical inconsistency, because oh, without yeah. rings, That's you have right. no ringwraiths. So how do you have ringwraiths in the second age when the rings are not even created yet? Yeah. Anyway, turns out he they think he's Sauron, and turns out he is an Ishtari, which Ishtari translates to wizard. Now, in the Tolkien lore, there were only five wizards that ever existed at all. The maiar they come down. There are mortal beings that have infinite magical power. They don't really, they can assist and help in the affairs of Middle-earth, but they cannot, I think it's like they can't really do much. Like they, I forget, am I wrong? Like what is their, they can assist in battle? Like, they did assist in battle. Well, yeah, you see
1: Gandalf assisting in battle. Yeah,
0: I can't remember, like, their full, like, I think they're restricted by something, but regardless of the point, there's only five that existed. So, you have two blue wizards, Mm -hmm. you have Radagast the Brown, you've got Saruman, and you have Gandalf. Now, the stranger (laughs) is revealed to be an Ishtari, a wizard, and when he somehow has full speech... In the last episode, which he has not, no, nope, barely any speech until this last episode, but he's speaking with the eloquence of an Ian McKellen, a yeah, Sir Ian McKellen. Right. And there's a specific line where he says, Follow your nose. You're like, Hmm, well, there's only one person of these Ishtari who said that. Right. It's Gandalf. Yep. So that makes no sense. Because these people aren't supposed to show up for another few thousand years. Yeah. So how can you have Gandalf in this? And so the inconsistency is like, well, Sar- it's not Saruman, obviously. It's not Radagast the Brown. It either has to be a blue wizard or Gandalf. But in this episode, you pretty much are heavenly moving towards
1: Gandalf. I originally thought it was a blue wizard when I think most people think yeah. it is. And then, and when it, he- I mean,
0: they're not saying that it is who he is, but. Right.
1: At, yeah at this point well not only that he's gandalf is very friendly with the hobbits exactly so that was the one thing that was kind of giving it away but also at the same time how does where when gandalf shouldn't even be around yet he shouldn't yeah so yeah so that's gandalf i guess we'll say or stranger yeah so then let's talk about halbrand so who's
0: halbrand Actually, I want to. I want to. I want to backtrack. I want to talk about that for a second. So, for the entirety of the season, everyone was like, "Who Sauron?" It's like a Sauron mystery box. Who, who Sauron is this person? Sauron is this person? Sauron. But I think everybody collectively watching the show thought, figured out who Sauron was from like episode two.
1: Yeah, it <laughs> was, it was the scene when they were when Halbrand was in prison, and I guess. Galadriel also was in prison at that time together and they're talking to each other. Right. And it was the moment when he said something along the lines of it's, you don't just give them the solution. You have to control the solution. Right. So find out what they fear and control it and control the solution to their fear. Right. So that's exactly what the rings are, which Halbrand does turn out to be Sauron. He reveals
0: himself after claiming after you know it's funny he never claimed to be king of the southlands like he even told galadriel galadriel like i told you the truth i found this pouch that he's been floating around with on a dead man like he's never yeah he he, he told the truth the whole time but galadriel refused to accept that this man may not be who he was never did a genealogy check until the very last episode in which is like don't you this is i mean That line's been dead for a thousand years. And so he is revealed to be Sauron, which again, based off of that, and also the fact that as soon as they got to Numenor, he wanted to forge immediately, which who likes to forge? Sauron.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The other component of that that was wild to me is how is it that the wisest of all races, the elves, do not know that... The Southlands have been without a king for thousands of years.
0: That, or people of the Southlands, specifically. Yeah,
1: that's right. Do,
0: they, do the people like Bronwyn and all the other people of the Sauron just accept the fact that this guy is king? Right. Okay, no one did a check. <laughs> no one decided to... Be like, say, who's like, your dad? Yeah, who, like, how do you, how, this pouch is just your claim to the throne? Yeah. Like, anything? There's nothing? Like, it, yeah, it speaks to more of, like, told. Uh, We were like back to the the documentary, we were talking about like some critics were weighing hard, like even when Lord of the Rings, the book came out initially, like way back in the day, there were some harsh critics about it that they thought there was so much megatext or all these genealogies. And even when you think about the Bible specifically, which, you know, we're not going to talk about allegory uh, in this very moment, but the fact that genealogies are so important t to tolkien because they it gives the story depth mm-hmm. and so to people not caring that much about genealogies until like the th- last episode is so
1: weird yeah. to me so yeah i think mean, it's a, it, it shows a lack of um the world we live in today that cares about genealogy and also yeah. just it just shows you where the writers and the people of Amazon prime are at in regards to their own knowledge of Tolkien and also their desire to make a honorable piece of art specifically for Tolkien. Like we want to make something worthy of that name. Right. They're just like, we just want to make a hit series.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. And you know, they spent the money, but you know, that it's missing just everything that could have made it great. So, Let's move on to the next question.
1: Yeah. What evil can we stop? Hmm.
0: Are we talking about the evil like outside of the show or within the show itself?
1: So this is the one I had. The specific, and and you and I texted back and forth about this. The constant lying in this show is insane. Lying? Yeah. Like withholding information from one another as characters. Like- Elrond going to Durin for Mithril. Right. And then like, why is Elrond here? Like when Elrond goes to Durin, he doesn't reveal that he's there to look for something. He's just like, I'm just here to like see a friend I haven't seen in ages. Right. And then he finds out, well, you're here because you've heard about this thing called Mithril. That's true. I have.
0: Which to Elrond's credit, to Elrond's defense He's lied to himself, right? But Gilgalad also, lied to to Elrond.
1: But again, wisest among elves or wisest race. It's just to me, it's like I don't know, man. There's just some components where I'm like, <laughs> I just don't buy. I know some of the just the constant like, no. and then it also goes back to like even Elrond not telling Gilgalad that they found Mithril. I get it. Yeah. He has a. He has this moral dilemma that he runs into where he's like, I told Durin that I won't tell you or but tell anything. But he's anybody. telling him. Yeah, but he's just like, I, I can't <laughs> tell you. But <laughs> Yeah, Gilgalad is
0: like, hey, do you know, is the Mithril there? And El- Elrond's like, I cannot break a vow. You're telling him by saying that. Yeah.
1: So I did not like that. I also don't like that Galadriel also asked Elrond to just trust her. Yeah, he's like, she was just like, we're friends, we're best friends, so don't ask. Again. Technically,
0: lore speaking, he's supposed to be her. He's she's supposed to be his mother-in-law.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep, she, um, he, Elrond marries Celebrían. Yeah, yeah. So, and then so there's just this always withholding information. Also, Elrond hiding the fact that Halbrand is Sauron. It just felt like even at the end, it's just kind of like, but I know now.
0: Yeah. That's, that was also a weird thing to me. Yeah. So yeah, at the very end of the episode, which the pacing of the show was really slow, <laughs> slow going for the for like the first four episodes, like first, first five episodes, and you get an action scene in episode six, and then you got more plotting in episode seven. In episode eight, you have to rush everything together to finalize all these threads, which every thread... Didn't even finish up in the finale of season one. Mm-hmm. So at the very end, you have them. You know, Halbrand is revealed to be Sauron. Gladriel knows. He tries to drown her, and then he disappears. Elrond pulls her out of uh, the pond that she was in, and then she says nothing. Like he asks her, like, "What
1: happened?" Yeah. Says nothing. Yeah. She's just like, "Don't ask."
0: And like, where no one asked where Halbrand is because Halbrand was there influencing them to make the rings, which how does keller how does Keller Brimboard not know about combining alloys? The man is the great like the one of the greatest Elven Smiths of all time. And the man doesn't know the basics of metalworking. So I it again, logical inconsistency there. And so mm-hmm. yeah, it's evil to like And then they just stand there and there's no talking. There's music throughout the whole thing. You see the epic of them making the three elven rings. Right. So three for the elven lords. But she's not going to say anything to anybody that, hey, this is a guy that I've been hunting for centuries. Right. And I know who this man is. We can go get him. We know where he's going. He's going to Mount Doom. Yeah. He's going to
1: Mordor now. Yeah. We should stop him. We should stop him
0: today. Like yeah. what are we waiting for in yeah. this instance? I don't I don't understand that. Yeah. yeah.
1: So to me it was just in some ways it was just like this constant withholding of information from yeah. one another, whether it's friends or people. I mean, really it was all happening between people who they call each other best friends. Right. And to me it's like, man, this is this is a component that I just don't know if I can yeah, keep going with. But anyways, that was my that was the evil that I feel like it needs to stop. So yeah. this
0: is gonna be interesting because this is, this is more outside of the show, mm. and this is going back to the, the documentary again. Which man, I like. I spent a long, a long time like trying to get through this documentary, and it was, it was really, really good. But something to note: one uh, of Tolkien's sons, Christopher Tolkien, talks about. Uh, Toy says, um, talks about this thing called the machine. And he says, in the modern world, the word modern is the word that has to be emphasized. He loved the world. And he was in no conceivable sense a misanthrope. The modern world meant for him essentially the machine. And once again, this was a word that he tended. He tried to enlarge so that when he speaks of the machine and he more than once expressly said that it was one of the underlying themes for him in the Lord of the Rings was the machine. We should think of something rather more than what the word machine naturally suggests to train us motor cars, to to us trains, motor cars, airplanes. He used it very compendiously to mean almost, you might say, an alternative solution to the development of the innate and inherent powers and talents of human beings. The machine means for him meant for him. Uh, the wrong solution, the attempt to actualize our desires like our desire to fly. Mm. It meant coercion domination for him, the great enemy coercion of other minds and wills. This is tyranny, but he mm. also saw the characteristic activity of the modern world as the coercion, the tyrannous re- reformation of the earth, our place that is really why he hated machines of course it's perfectly true he hated the internal combustion and internal combustion engine for perfectly good practical reasons and and then he mentioned uh something about the machine that says the machine is as he would say mythologized in the uh, the mythological mode because it had Because he is dealing entirely in the representation of his perception of the primary world and the secondary world from the world, if you like a Middle Earth. And I think that is undoubtedly true that in this very large sense of the word machine, the supreme machine in the mythological terms is the ring, uh, is the one ring. Um, And so it talks a lot about the machine and coercion and how uh, the representation of who Sauron, Sauron is, is the machine to coerce and even in the show ring even rings of power they talk about how they are trying to craft powers of the unseen world Mm -hmm. not the power of the flesh but over flesh Mm -hmm. and uh to take it from the secondary world out in the primary world out into the primary world it's ironic that a million a billion dollar company amazon purchased a a series like this because they are the machine disney and amazon and hbo and all of these other like major corporations are the machine they Mm. attempt to coerce and manipulate you into 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 certain things and this this will kind of like i'll kind of answer the last question like what uh what's brokenness that we can restore and we talked about this with uh with the diversity and the criticism of this show and the response from the cast and the showrunners themselves. And so in modern media today, there seems to be some weird disconnect between the people who are making these shows and the fans who care about the source material. Mm -hmm. So you have this machine, you have Amazon with rings of power wanting to take a franchise that in probably most people's minds have been long forgotten about, but because they wanted to create their own epic, they wanted to have their Game of Thrones, like HBO right. has Game of Thrones. Right. And so like what is Jeff what does Jeff Bezos want to do? What do we got? Let's buy Lord of the Rings. We yeah. got billion dollars to throw around. Let's just buy Lord of the Rings and do whatever it is that we do. And I think for the most part they understood the weight of what Lord of the Rings means. I think. at least you would hope (laughs) at least you would hope that they understood the showrunners i think they did i mean they spent like five years creating the show but when the show came out and the marketing of the show is just more about this girl boss galadriel or the diversity of the cast and when it was marketed as we don't know what the story is there was a lot of fan backlash and understandably i think there were some uh i think the showrunners and some of the cast perceived as some of these as racist attacks towards them and the show because of its diversity. And I'm not going to say that that wasn't the case. I think there are those people out there and that's awful. You know, we don't, we don't agree with that at all. But I think that was a lot of the sticking points in which a lot of the criticism for the show came because people care a lot about the franchise. They care a lot about the lore Mm -hmm. And yet, you saw time and time and again, and even uh, I think there was an article I read about Amazon even suppressing negative reviews mm-hmm. for the show right. to maintain its, you know, four or five star rating. I think it's like sitting at three stars right now. Yeah, um, that's a form of coercion. You're yes. you're suppressing information to maintain this air of oh I'm the or I'm good like Sauron. You know that they own Ring, like the security system? Yeah. Which is very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> the eye of Sauron, the eye of Amazon. But yeah, that is in a sense evil because they are the machine that are just wanting to pump out things for, for nostalgia, for the member berries. Like, remember Lord of the Rings? Remember Elrond? Remember Galadriel? Remember Hobbits? Remember Wizards? Remember all this stuff? Like, we're just going to give this to you and not fully respect the consistency of what Tolkien created we're not going to and even if we do and even if you do call us out for that we're going to call you evil we're going to call you racist we're going to call you names and it's not just amazon in this show i think i've seen it a lot in modern media in disney uh, i think she hulk was one of those things i didn't watch she hulk did you no yeah i've i watched a few clips and i'm like I can't watch this show. <laughs> as soon as I saw She Hulk and Megan the Stallion twerking, I'm like, I'm out. I'm good. I'm not I'm not about that. But you see time and time and again where the fans who care a lot about this material, who are paying customers for your product, by the way, mm-hmm. express their concern or dis you know, disappointment with this, but the showrunners don't care about their fans. Right. But that's gonna hurt them eventually. You know, there's only so much money that you have. Eventually, when you try to do this you're gonna- you're gonna lose, so I think that is in a sense evil and a brokenness between mm. these creators and
1: the fans that's those are really good points, yeah, so thanks for that quote on the machine that was yeah
0: hopefully i hopefully I said that right. I was copying it down as best as I can, but yeah, I was like, oh, the machine, yeah, so to speak, mm, interesting, yeah, we, I wonder yeah. what the machine is in our world, yeah mm.
1: that's a I mean all right, so let's let's kind of wrap up this talk about rings of power, so the conclusion, will you watch season two? Yes, for a if, couple of reasons? Oh, I was gonna say if so, what are you looking forward to? <laughs>
0: uh well, I'm gonna watch it first because we're we're probably going to talk about it, <laughs> <laughs> so then we're too I, deep into yeah. the show, so you have to watch it now too. Now I have to watch it. Yep. you have to join me in yes. this journey all right, and you uh, get to
1: hear all of my live feed reactions, yeah. Unfortunately,
0: at the time of this recording, they had already started uh, filming season two. And so the criticisms that have come out for the show may not even stick with what might happen in season two. But I do hope uh, the stranger, I'm going to call him Gandalf. Just go ahead. It's Gandalf. Gandalf Gandalf. and Nori. They talk about going east to Rune, which Rune is in the east and that's never been explored in the lore. So I hope, I mean, and this is a brand new thing and I'm not a lore master and I hope they do something great with that, with the million dollars, the billions of dollars that they have. So hopefully they do something good with that. I think hopefully there's something good between Halbrand, Hal, Sauron, Sauron, Salbrand, Sal and Adar, Yeah. between them coming into conflict. I hope Galadriel uh, becomes a more fleshed out character. I hope the elves become a little bit more wiser than they're supposed to be. I hope there's like, they elevate the level of this cast. um, And don't try to fan bait the fans, like respect that people love the series. Like you're not going to trick Tolkien fans. People are too invested in this series to be tricked. Like they know there's people that have spent their entire lives like Tolkien did studying this stuff. Yeah. So don't, you can't, you can't bypass these people. Yeah. So hopefully they they really take this stuff to heart and they do this stuff justice. Yeah. Um, I have some final thoughts about all that, but you can you can talk about
1: it. Yeah. I, I think the thing I'm most excited about is I want to know what is Sauron's motivation.
0: To heal Middle-Earth, he said.
1: Yeah, but what does that mean? Co- coercion. Control. Uh, again, it's like- I don't know. Does it come through like genocide of- what What is his... Just motivation. Because we don't really know his full backstory. But you is know, he just evil for the sake of evil? Like, what is his backstory? If you're a lore master, let us know. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then is, it, is Amazon going to get it right? That's the other component. Probably not, but... yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The machine. The machine. Now I know. The machine. All right. Sweet.
0: Yeah. But I do want to ask you this. D- in light of this show... In in other shows like this, do you think it is best to not make shows like this anymore? Ooh. I was thinking about this, and I was like, I would be fine if prequels didn't exist anymore. I would be fine if taking these well-known franchises, just let them be, and craft new stories. Or if you're going to use the license, like Disney using Star Wars, tell stories that are adjacent to... Your their main stories. Kind like of yeah, like Andor. Yeah, try like Andor or Rogue One, yeah. which are good stories. Yeah. Don't try to gap fill and try to be like, okay, this is Anakin when he was really young. I'm talking about the prequel series. Yeah, Don't yeah. try to do all of these main characters. You know, craft new stories out of this world that is so expansive that you're creative. I'm. I think I'm fine with using the license, but you do something different with it. Do something more creative than just. Hey, you remember all these people that you've known and you're been familiar with for right, your, and that, your that's life? your
1: point to fan baiting. Yeah, yeah, you you're you're cap you're trying to cash in the check on people's goodwill. Yeah. for those characters, right?
0: Yeah, I think it would be better if Rings of Power had characters that you didn't know, characters that existed within the lore, but also that you didn't know as well.
1: Yeah, that would be kind of hard though, with the fact that. Tolkien's genius of actual the amount of depth he put into then don't make it the second age then yeah then I think the conclusion that that, that, like that's my
0: that's my question is like should you even do this if you can't do it right right like don't do it then yeah that's my that's my either either don't do it and then don't use the license make something new you know so that was my I was like what if you're listening to this what do you think do you think prequels should exist yeah
1: put it (laughs) in the comments yeah yeah sweet awesome. Well, I know I had other questions, but we have run out of some time. Have we run out of time? Yeah. So we're just gonna do some recommendations. Um, you know, what are you reading these days? I'm still reading uh Creating Culture. Oh, creating culture.
0: Uh, uh oh actually culture making by um uh, Andy Crouch. Nice. So that's good.
1: Um I need to, re- need to read my Bible more. So there's that <laughs> A book that w yeah, the Bible. The- the one book that you can read your whole life. But I will
0: recommend if you, like I said, this show did get me more into Lord of the Rings. So I would highly recommend if anyone wants to get more into this buy Lord of the Rings, the book series, Mm -hmm. just buy the books. Don't worry so much about the show and in the Peter Jackson movies, just read the books and read Tolkien's genius on the
1: page. So I would highly recommend those books and the Hobbit too. Yeah. And that was something that I, I tried to put into practice after we went through our Colson Fellows program of actually reading Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Another genius. Yeah. Yeah. So same thing. Yeah. Uh, for me, I've just been reading, or I just wrapped up uh, reading 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You by Tony Ranky. I don't know how you say that. And then another book called Rembrandt Is In The Wind by Russ Ramsey. Um, two really just... Great books. Um, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. Um, I don't want to just be a reader. I actually want to be a doer of what I read. So, this book actually has motivated me to downgrade to a dumb phone. So, I will be really interesting. Yes. I will be, um, yeah, I'll be uh, pioneering what it's like to go back to the pre digital age. So, More power to you. Yes. I'll let you know how it is. Yeah. Um, And the other one is Rembrandt is in the wind. I'm a lover of art. Um, I grew up doing paintings and stuff. And this book has really kind of reignited that. So. Nice. If you want to get into art um, or learn about why art is important, um, Rembrandt is in the wind is a really good one. Even at the back in the appendix, he tells you how you should go to a museum and how to appropriately go to a museum. That would have been helpful to, for our, yeah, our, last our last episode. yeah. But we <laughs> actually did it right. Oh, we did? Yeah, he nice. actually says, um, find an artist that you either enjoy or that you're interested in. Yeah. Go and sit there and look at it for 30 minutes. Analyze it. Look at the painting first, then read the plaque, and then just sit there. Just absorb it all in, and once you're done, and you still have free time, then you can roam around. Oh, nice, that's good. Cool. But he said, people try to go to a museum, and I make this mistake all the time. If I'm in New York, I'm like, let's go to the Met, let's go to the MoMA, and then you're like running around looking for all the famous paintings. Right. And he's like, that's exhausting. Yeah. That's like looking at, that's like looking at a bunch of billboards all day long. Yeah. And they're all trying to get your attention, so you just get exhausted. Right.
0: Yeah. It's supposed to be an experience that engages the mind. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if you want to see more art, you just keep going back and then just 30 minute segments at a time. Nice. Just, you know, just look. But, Great. you know, who has time to yeah. do all that? So, sweet. Cool. Well, uh, that will do it yeah.
0: for this episode of Walk & Chew Gum. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments. And if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Walk & Chew Pod on Instagram. Or if you want to send us an email, that's Walk & Chew Pod at gmail.com did i get that
1: right yes you did get that right okay. and there's still underscores there's, in yes in the instagram still
0: underscores in the instagram handle and i'm not gonna try to do that but anyway we will be back uh next time and we'll see you then
1: godspeed